Hey, good morning, gang. I hope everything is going to swell in your life this Tuesday morning, October 2nd. My goodness gracious, I cannot believe it's October 2nd. Just a couple weeks away from, uh, a little over two weeks away from the Here We Still Stand conference. Coming up in San Diego. Can't wait to be out there. Actually, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the conference. I'm really looking forward to the theologians and the speakers and, you know, being able to hang out with so many of my good buddies. But, um, you know, I'm also looking forward to a couple other things. Uh, of course, number one, first and foremost, the greatest thing about being out there will be having a double-double stuffed in my gullet. Um, of course, of course. But also, I'm very hopeful that when I'm out there, I'm going to be able to take in a Laker game as their season will have just begun, and LeBron James will officially be a Laker and will be taken on the path to glory. So as you all know, or at least I think you know, I'm not originally from the East Coast, even though I serve in New York City and New Jersey, um, but I'm from the L.A. area, so in and out and Lakers, what can I do? But we're not here to talk about the in and out and the Lakers today. Uh, good morning, Danielle and Bonnie and Glenna and Whitney and whoever else I can't see. Good to have you with me today. We are not here to talk about the Lakers or in and out, although I could. If you want me to do that, I'm totally down. But we're here to talk about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And in today's text, we really begin to take a turn that Paul often does in his letters. Uh, if you want to sort of see the order of uh, Paul's letters, generally speaking, spelled out, they kind of look like this. Uh, first, he begins by spelling out the bad news about who you are and your sin, mixed with or then, on, then showing God's solution to that in the gospel. In Ephesians, he does that in the first three chapters. Uh, first three chapters, he spells out for them the great wonders of their union with Christ. They are elected and they are saved and they are adopted into a new family, God's church, without the old barriers that had divided them from uh, Jew or Gentile in the past. He's prayed for them twice in the first three chapters. And now in chapter four, he writes these words. We're going to look at verses one through six today. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. End of reading. So Paul now turns to how they're going to, how he wants them to live in light of being saved and of God's work for them, God's renewing them. How does the new creation walk? That's the question. And really, if you want to look at, I mean, if you want to narrow it down to one word, the new creation, the new Adam, uh, this church is walking in unity. That's really 
the big word throughout this passage. You see over and over again, one, 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 one. Be united in the spirit and the bonds of peace, one, 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 one. It is something so important that Jesus, in his final hours on earth, recorded in John 17, chose to pray for great deals of time about it before his impending death. It was on his mind, the possibility of his church uh, being split or not being united laid heavy on his mind as much as even maybe his torture and crucifixion. It was a big deal to him. I mean, that was after all him that declared a house divided against itself cannot stand. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's the issue. Unity is incredibly important. And I don't think I'm telling any tales out of school here when I say that the church has not done a great job of fostering that unity. Um, we have, we have messed this one up pretty badly and we can see today the results of it. Um, we are broken up by denomination and broken up by doctrine and broken up by all sorts of division. And it's a sad affair. And so Paul wants us to do our best to avoid that, you know, as new creations in Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, what does it mean to be united? To answer this question, we're going to first look at the foundation of our unity. Uh, Then we'll look at some various aspects that or various characteristics that happen when we seek unity. And then uh, we'll finally talk about sort of the capstone of our unity. So, So first of all, what's the foundation? Well, to find that, I think you actually have to go to verses four through six. So we're going to kind of read this in reverse order a little bit. Um, and the reason I say that is because it's, that's, where he, that's where Paul ends up. He kind of goes, okay, this is, you, this is how you should stay united. And he tells us sort of characteristics, but then his basis for it is there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so let's just flesh out those different parts real quick. First of all, one body. There is one church. That's still true today, by the way. Yes, 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 there are many, many Christian denominations, many different synods, but we're not talking about the quote-unquote visible church here. We're talking about the invisible church. The idea is that within all visible Christian congregations or Christian churches that confess Christ as Lord, there are all there are true members of his body. They are all part of the one true apostolic, holy Catholic church throughout all of time, in spite of their labels. So the church goes deeper than just what you see on the outside. It's never defined by just one visible body, but there's members of Christ's body, the same body in every fellowship or every gathering. And so that's, there is one body. That's just true, Paul says. There's not multiple bodies, and that's still true today. There's multiple denominations, unfortunately, but only one body. Secondly, one spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. So one cannot say they have both the spirit of, let's say, some, uh, you know, Hindu God, for that matter, and the Holy Spirit living within them. It is only possible to have the Holy Spirit uh, if you are a Christian. There is only one hope of eternal life for the world. And that is found in Christ alone. There is one Lord. This is a reference specifically to Jesus. And uh, in the New Testament, that's how the distinction is often made between the Father and the Son. The Father is referred to as God and the Son as as Lord. 
As Philippians 2 tells us, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is one face, not one face, uh, more than one face. There is one faith. Now, when it says faith here, uh, it's referring to the way we might say the faith. In other words, it means a set of beliefs that we teach and that we confess. There, and frankly, I mean, so the, another way of saying this is there is no other religion that can be coupled with Christianity. So, uh, for examples, um, you know, there, there's certain traditions that have added books onto the Bible, that have added uh, different, uh, and they will give it sort of the same weight of authority. But this passage would speak against this. There is one faith. There is one, uh, one doctrine or one uh, faith handed down throughout church history. There is one baptism. That is to say the baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus commanded. Now, some of you might come from traditions where you have heard that there are multiple baptisms. That there's, of course, yes, that water baptism, but then there's the real baptism that comes later from the Spirit. Well, that would, this, this passage here speaks pretty strongly against that. Uh, there is one baptism. There is not multiple baptisms. And in that one baptism, we receive everything we need from God for life and salvation. So uh, that might be a new teaching for some of you, but it's just what the Bible says. One baptism. And finally, there is one God and Father over all and through all and in all. And this again emphasizes that there is no God but one. So Christianity is a monotheistic religion, excluding all other so-called deities propagated in the world. <clears throat> so notice again in this passage, you know, Ephesians is a very triune book. Paul references all three persons of the Trinity. Um, and so the question comes like, why is such a strong emphasis on these facts being the grounding of our unity? Well, simply put, we tend to unite over much lesser things. And when we unite over much lesser things, then the church ends up becoming a clique. It's just that simple. And so you'll unite over your socioeconomic background. You'll unite over, over your kids' common sports programs. You'll unite over the fact that you're, you, that you're the homeschooling church, quote-unquote. I mean, whatever it is, we can unite over a thousand little or you know, lesser things. And it ends up excluding. And Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive religion. It is exclusive in that it is only by Jesus Christ that one may be called a Christian and may be saved. On the other hand, it is incredibly inclusive in that it, it, that's basically the one thing. Everybody can come in and be united in this one body just through faith in Jesus Christ and not whether you how you school your kids or who you vote for in the ballot, you know, on the, on, the, on the ballot when the election comes up or whether you support Kavanaugh or not or whatever. I mean, that, none of those things are the grounding of our unity. The grounding of our unity is the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And when we lose that, we become, I mean, frankly, that's when the church really starts to, to divide very quickly. So we have to make sure that the grounding of our unity is the truth that is taught in scripture and not a bunch of lesser things which we're so prone to do so that's the unity okay so what are how how do we then kind of foster the unity well paul gives 
really four characteristics here. Um, and it emphasizes, I mean, that it's not going to be easier come naturally. First of all, he mentions humility. Uh, we're told that we, we ought to strive, urgently strive, to be humble towards one another. You've probably heard the famous quote from William Temple, who said, humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people, nor does it mean having a opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. Now, uh, that sounds great, and I think that's a true definition. Good night, nurse, as self-obsessed as I can get. That's a really hard thing to do. And so, yes, uh, the call to strive towards this it really is a striving thing because I'm prone to navel-gazing. I'm prone to thinking about how I feel and how I've been slighted or how, you know, I mean, we're prone to looking at ourselves first. But humility is the opposite of that. Uh, secondly, he mentions gentleness. Paul does. This is all coming towards fostering a sense of unity. Uh, we're urged to be gentle with one another. And the word there in Greek carries with the idea of, of meekness or not seeking revenge on someone who has wronged you. Now, I think when we hear the term meek, uh, we think of weakness. We confuse the two terms. But actually, meekness carries with it the idea of somebody that's incredibly strong, a real tough person who could, in fact, do something to hurt their opponent, but holds himself together or herself together, remaining self-controlled. And the fact is, if you've spent any time in the church at all, you are going to have to be meek at some point, because there are going to be people in the church that bug the heck out of you. It's just a fact of life. They're human beings, they're sinners, they're gonna sin, and they're gonna bug you and you're going to have to display a strength if you want to maintain the bonds of unity that doesn't rip their head off when they get under your skin. Uh, so this is all working towards fostering unity, and it's very real. Paul understands who he's writing to. He's not writing to a cotton candy land filled with unicorns and rainbows. He's writing to a bunch of sinners that call themselves the church. So thirdly, we're urged to be patience, to strive for unity in the church by being patient with one another, or another way of saying it is long-suffering. Well, oh boy. I mean, how much do I love being patient? Not at all. Not at all. It's not, doesn't come naturally. Um, <clears throat> and, and yet, I mean, I, just as an example, this is, um, I shared this last Sunday and or a couple Sundays ago at church during a sermon. If I'm the first in line um, at a, uh, or if I'm like second or third in line at a light, at a red light, and the light turns green and the car in front does not, I mean instantly, touch on that gas and go when that light turns green, my first temptation is to lay on that horn. It's just the, the first temptation. And I, I think it really is like New York getting into me, you know, but, but it's my first temptation. Like, hey, 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 I don't have the patience to wait for you, buddy. I've got important things. I'm an important person, and you're not, giving, you're not going fast enough. And yet at the same time, this is how much of a jerk I can be. If I'm the front of the line, and I get distracted by something, and I don't go immediately when it turns green, and somebody dares honk at me, oh, 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 oh my goodness. Hey, be patient, buddy. Your life is as important as mine. Don't act like you have to be somewhere. 
Um, so this is the, the rub for us, um, you know, called to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love and going along with all the rest. We're, we're urged to, to do that, to bear with one another. And I mean, listen, that phrase, bear with one another, does not come, does not sound like something that's going to be easy. It's, it implies carrying something, carrying a weight carrying other people's burdens for the sake of unity. So here's what it all comes down to. Here's what it all comes down to. <clears throat> if I leave you saying, okay, just be humble, just be gentle, just be patient, and bear with one another in love, and you'll have no problem being united. It won't work. What Paul ends up going to, and what we'll see over the next couple of weeks, is even as we're commanded to do these things, we have to also remember that with commands, there's also inherently a promise. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are promised that the fruit of the Spirit, notice whose fruit it is and who grows the fruit, the Spirit, will produce these very things in us. So uh, even as we're called to sort of uh, go after these things in, in, as a new creation, humility and gentleness and patience, and to bear with one another, we're also promised the good news that God is going to work that in us. The fruit is coming. You can't, it's not something you're gonna have control of, by the way. And a lot of the time, you're not even going to know that the fruit is there. And sometimes, actually, you're going to look at yourself and you're going to go, man, I sure am not as gentle as I should be. Or, man, I'm sure not as patient as I should be. Or, man, I'm sure not bearing with one another as much as I should be. And the whole time, God is working through you in such a way that people are saying, man, they sure are gentle. Man, they sure are humble. Man, you know, they really are patient. I can't believe how, how much they've borne with me, how much they've taken on. Uh, 